This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hey, hey, welcome to another version of Poetry in Motion, or another episode, probably will probably be a different version by the end of it, uh, with me, Neil Fitz, talking all things Liverpool Football Club, joined by, well, I've got, you've heard of the Cray Twins, haven't you? Of course, notorious gangland folks <laughs> from the East End, well, we've got the K Twins, they're not really, they're just... Both got a name that ends in K. Uh, it's Dan K. Hello, pal. How are you? I'm pretty good, Fitzy. How's yourself? I'm not too bad. Hey, who can complain with what we're watching at the moment? Like, the sun's shining. There's not a cloud in the sky. And uh, Liverpool Football Club are the greatest football team on the planet. So there's no complaints from me, my friend. Um, a younger, strikingly more handsome version of Dan K. Um, sits below on TV it's imp- It is impossible, pal. Uh, making his debut... Uh, on Poetry in Motion, uh, but a veteran, of course, of other podcasts. It is Edward Kay. How are you, Ed? Yeah, not bad, mate. Obviously, like you said, it's a, it's a pretty good time to be a Liverpool fan right about now. So, uh, sitting pretty, yeah? We are sitting pretty, mate. We just have to enjoy every single second. I say this on all the podcasts, podcasts recently, anyway, because, you know, there's very, very little to complain about as a football fan, as a Liverpool fan. They are just ticking every box and giving us memories and incredible um, emotional journeys Virtually with every kick of the ball, they are they are incredible. With that in mind, let's talk about the recent form of Liverpool Football Club. Um, the last podcast took us up to Dan the uh, the uh, the FA Cup semi final. Um, mm. I think we've done the two two kind of you know uh, the frustrations of the two uh, two at the Etihad. Um, we went to the FA Cup uh, semi final. There was of course a game uh, and we played Benfica, of course, and and, and in the, in the interim period they played uh, Atletico. Took a bit of a toll out of them probably a little bit more than it is out of us. We got there in the end after a 3-3 draw. They went into the semi-final, Dan, with um, with De Bruyne out. Um, he decided to drop Edison. Uh, I heard it was a shoulder thing, but I don't think it was in the end. I've heard, I've heard contrasting reports on that. A strange kind of um, light midfield, which I think always costs Man City. If you take Rodri out, put Fernandinho in, um, it cost them in the Champions League final doing something similar. Uh, and it certainly cost them in the FA Cup semi-final, but that first half, Dan, was a first half of football that that, that can can it'll be better, can it? It was just extraordinary, wasn't it? It was a, a Man City f- floundering, didn't know what to do, couldn't get out the half, absolutely steamrolled by an incredible, an incredible football team, mate, wasn't it? And then um, we'd seen that midfield for the first time, had me really those three, and it was uh, they proved really strong, Dan. Yeah, it was. Uh, I'm, I'm, I said to me, mate, at the half time behind the goal at Weatherly, uh, that might be the best 45 minutes we've had under Klopp. And he basically said pretty much similar himself after the game. And uh, obviously, it, it, I think inevitably City were always going to come back in the second half. Um, very much the Liverpool way. Unfortunately, we very rarely do things the easy, the easy way for ourselves. And it was a little bit closer to close, closer to comfort than we would have liked in those final few minutes. But I think overall, I'm still you know, setting aside what happened against the other side of Manchester on Wednesday night. I'm still kind of glowing off what happened at Wembley on Saturday. You know, I, I think you have to look at it in the context of what happened at the Etihad the week before. And there's no getting away from it that I think we were all quite pleased and a bit relieved to come away with that, with that away from that with a 2-2. And the one thing I was kind of really holding on to after that was the kind of sense of, well, they had a chance to really kind of kill us off, not just in terms of the Premier League title race, but in terms of like our self-belief, our momentum, our our vision in terms of where we are and what we're going and what 
this, you know, incredible season could conclude as. And, you know, I've said to a few people after the league game, they might just come to regret not finishing, you know, not being more clinical, not finishing, killing us off, really, when they have the chance on their own ground. Now, as you said, they did make some changes. They did have, um, I think it's absolutely fair to say, a much tougher midweek game than us, which, which clearly took a lot out of them. But I also think as well, Liverpool knew that the FA Cup semi-final is an FA Cup semi-final, and ultimately, at least they, you know, the primary focus of that is to get to the final and win the FA Cup. But in the circumstances of this season, it always felt like it might mean a little bit more than that. Obviously, in terms of the title race and potentially uh, what we were doing in, in 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 the Champions League, time will tell whether that's that will be the case. We give City a good beating on Saturday; they could st- they could still end up winning the treble. Yet we don't know that. But even though they have gone back top of the league after their victory over Brighton last night, it does feel like we have kind of just sowed that little bit of seed in doubt in their minds. And also as well, I think in terms of the other teams who have yet to play them, that they are not invincible. They are not unbeatable. And if you have a go at them, you might get a little bit of joy. But we can only focus on ourselves. And, you know, the, I did hear people say in the um, third goal against City, Mane's volley just on the stroke of half-time was... Um, Kind of, you know, it, it almost came out of the Brazil 1970 league, and we were at the other end of the ground. I remember at the time thinking it's a great goal, but they might be overstating that a bit. Having watched it back again, and obviously, second goal we scored against United on Thursday, it's not just Liverpool winning and still winning and grinding these results out. We seem to have got our flair, our mojo, our fluency back, and I think that bodes really well for you know the final run. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the the upturn in form, even though we've we've been brilliant. I think Jamie Carragher uh, summed it up quite well, Ed, when he said that Liverpool had been getting the job done uh, up until recently, and now there seems to be uh, they've kicked on. They seem to have lifted it up a gear. Um, it, it's a little bit frustrating, then, isn't it? Because the Etihad game, Fabinho had a stinker, which he very really has, but he, he didn't really turn up, did he? And that made a lot of the difference in midfield. But it, that thing about Liverpool going from the front foot, from the off, we haven't done for a while, and yet we did it uh, at Wembley and uh, and uh, and stuns City. There's no doubt about it. We did it against United last night. Uh, sorry, uh, the other night. I mean, just to give some uh, context about where we are um, date-wise when this when this pod uh, is getting done, we ju- uh, we 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 did uh, Man United the night before last. So last night was City. That was their response. So Tuesday night we played Man United, and absolutely, I mean, it was a destruction, wasn't it? To be honest with you, but the way Man United are at the moment, um, you know, there were some of us might have been thinking, oh, we could get a bit of a sting in the tail here. We didn't. I mean, they are in such a disarray as a football club right now, which is wonderful to see. Let's be honest. Um, that it was, um, that it was, it was, it was, it was a stroll in the park, which is how Thiago played it, like he was playing football with his kids, but um. There's something about the fact that we went at them and it leaves a bit of a frustration that we, we don't do that more often against City because they don't like it very much, do they, Ed? Yeah, I think the uh, the, the side that we saw in the first half in, the, uh, in that semi-final, that was exactly the Liverpool I was expecting to see if we got to the Etihad within three points of them, as it turned out, within one point of them. So that that first 45 minutes in the, in the Premier League, I mean, it, it was rough to watch and we could have been 3-0 down at half-time, same as we were. Um, we had them at Wembley. You know, you're thinking, if they were as, if they were half as clinical as us, that, that game would have been done and dusted by, by half-time. But as you say, we managed to sort of get through it, get to half-time at uh, only one down. 
And then in the second half, sort of managed to pull it back. And Dan makes a really good point. It's, it's more about you, you went into that game thinking, oh, I've got to beat these if we want to win the, win the league now, really. But by the end of it, coming out with a draw, it's almost as good as a win because it just keeps that momentum going. Like, as you say, we've, we're still fighting on all four fronts. You know, we've got one trophy in the bag already. It's important to just sort of keep the keep the, keep the ball rolling, as it were. And uh, yeah, then we've sort of been able to, as you say, sort of been an uptick in performances. We've gone from sort of grinding out results where you were looking at that thinking, done well to get away with something there. But, you know, people always say that's that's what champions do. And uh, now with, uh, I mean, Mo finally getting a chance to find his form against a pretty sorry-looking Man United, uh, it's, it's got to be worrying for City and uh, anyone else who's sort of standing in our way with... Uh, Looks looks like a uh, Mo Salah coming back into form and Liverpool sort of really hitting the stride now. Yeah, absolutely, and not the not just the only one. And Dan, as good as City are, of course, they're not still on for the treble; they're on for the double. Um, they'd have to be Sorry. some sad. They'd have to be some sad to get back into those cups. Um, <clears throat> it's just uh, this form thing, mate. I mean, we'll talk about Thiago's incredible performance, mm. away, but Sadio Mane having him back to what seems to be his best. I mean, moving him into into into, into the centre seems to have kind of found a, a new lease of life for Sadio. I mean, he, you know, he's had a frustrating time, hasn't he, for quite a while. But if you look at that goal, for instance, the goal he scored, uh, the third goal in the FA Cup semi-final, that wonderful kind of sliced dog-leg Tiger Woods into the into the bottom corner. That was with his right foot. And, and the third goal against United, which which he, he brushed past David De Gea from the edge of the boxes with his left foot. I mean... This is a man really finding his form again and starting to score goals, incredible goals with both feet. His timing, his timing was never an issue, Dan, was it? I mean, he was always hungry and always fast and always always available to do a flick and a turn and, and leave someone for dead. But he just seems to have had a new lease of life, mate, don't he? And, 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 and I don't know, we, we might find out it was, it was one game too late, but it's better late than never, pal, isn't it? He's been phenomenal lately, man. I mean, I think it's easy to forget with all the kind of the big players that have come in under Klopp, Salah, Van Dijk, Fabinho, you know, even latterly Diaz and Jota. But I, I think we will look back on Sadio Mane as being one of the greatest players in Liverpool's history. He really was, you know, the the, the first kind of transformative Klopp signing that really kind of made you think we are moving up a gear here. We are moving up a level. And from his debut, he scored that magnificent solo goal against Arsenal with his left foot in his first game for the club. Um, obviously, you know, he. he he ha- he did have a um he has struggled a little bit at the start of the season I think you know it, he, when he scored the opening goal at Chelsea on the second of January I think that was his first goal in eight or ten games but he's and it, it's funny really you know, there was always this fear with the Afcon how would it affect the team how would it affect Mane and Salah I think it's safe to say Mane maybe inevitably because obviously he come back as a champion um having he scored the winning penalty as well I think in the Afcon. Whereas Mo actually went into a bit of a trough of form, is only hopefully now just coming out of it. The, I have to say, the one thing that's really impressed me, though, about Sadio, as well as his magnificent finishing, and I have to briefly mention as well, the ball for Salah's second goal on, on Wednesday night against United, I think was one of the greatest passes I've ever seen. The angle of it, the weight of it, you know, it was absolutely through the eye of a needle gear. It was just phenomenal. If Thiago or Xabi Alonso or Kenny Dalglish have come up with a pass like that, People would be waxing lyrical, but the thing that's impressed me most about Sadio, particularly in the in the, the two games against Manchester City, which obviously are games of an intensity beyond which I've ever seen in thirty five plus years watching football, um, 
the care and attention he's taken, not just about, you know, creating chances, but looking after the ball, making sure that the ball doesn't bounce off him. Because obviously against a, a team of City's quality, if you give it up, give it away cheaply, you might not get it back for 10 minutes. And it's the responsibility in his play as much as his cutting edge and his goals that have impressed me as much as, as anything else. So he just, you know, I remember a couple of years ago with the... Um, Fan sites kept going on a little tagline when we were going for the league. Sadio Mane wants to win this line more than you. Sorry, sorry, wants to win this league more than you. Well, it's been my in my head last couple of weeks. Sadio Mane wants to win this quadruple more than any of us. And I think you can see it in his in his performances, in his drive and his determination. And he just seems to have got his confidence back. Like like you said, Neil, you know, the the, the one touch finish with his left foot from the edge of the penalty area was just sublime the other night. You know, I, I would struggle to think off the top of my head of too many better assists and goals in the game than what he provided. And the beautiful thing about it is he's like Salah, like Firmino, they don't talk an awful lot, but you get the impression with Manny, he's almost very much like with the, the Ronnie Moran philosophy. What happened last week is gone. The next game's the most important. The next game's the most important. And I would fully expect him to be absolutely chomping in the bit to get stuck into our dear neighbours from across Stanley Park on Sunday afternoon. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, absolutely. There will be a game and a half to be had there, no doubt. And just to touch it and reiterate what Dan said, that 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 pass, Ed, Edward for uh, Eddie, Ed, Ed, Ed. Um, that pass by uh, Sadio for uh, for Salah's goal was just a remark. It was a no look pass in the sense that he was he was he had to. It was a reverse over the shoulder chip. It was just. A phenomenal ball, wasn't it? And 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 having him back to 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 to, to clearly what what is his uh, his best form in a long time uh, is going to be key for the running for Liverpool for everything that they're still in the running for. Um, incredible as well that that against you. We'll talk about the United game. We'll go on to it, but it's all three, isn't it? Do you think Mane's upsurges to do possibly with that moving into the centre and with? Diaz on the right, on the left there, and Mane on uh, and Solly on Salad on the right. Do you think there's a balance there? I mean, I know I mean, Jota is still very much integral to Liverpool's plans anyway. But um, do you think there's a great kind of chop and change to be able to done on on them front four now that it's 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 a strong forward line, isn't it? Yes, um, it was tempting to call it a bit of a masterstroke from Klopp, really putting him putting Mane through the middle. But it wasn't even really that. It's just Diaz has come in and been so good on that left hand side. It's sort of Force Mane central if he's if he's going to get in that's where he's going to play and you know he's taken to it so well obviously with his sort of pace and he's al- he's always been a good finisher. You look at that um, the I can't remember if it was the first or second goal against City in the two two but that just instant finish second the second he gets the ball you know he's not even thinking about it so he's got that he's got that sort of ruthless finisher like streak in him so you can see why he's why he's taken to it so well but like you say the strength in that he's picking. Three from five now, isn't he? And none of those five is Origi or Minamino, who obviously, you know, Origi's been a great servant to the club. He's given us some great moments, but looks like he might be on his way out. And Minamino can't really seem to get... You can't really see where either of them is getting a game um, sort of going up towards the end of the season with the last few games. You know, every game's a big game now. But as you say, that the strength in that front line, he's got, he's got Diaz, Jota, Firmino, Mane, Salah, and a couple of them can play, you know... Through the middle, on the left, on the right, maybe Diaz looks like he could play left, right. It doesn't doesn't bother him as much. Obviously, he prefers coming in off that left, but he's done all right on the right. 
Salah's obviously made the right his own, so when he's starting, he's going to be there. But it just gives you so many more options. You've you've gone from you know looking looking at the bench in the 60th minute and you're drawing nil nil, and looking at Origi and Minamino and thinking, all right, maybe Origi's going to pull something out of the bag like he does. But going from that to having you know a Mane or a Firmino or a Diaz on the bench that you can bring on who just sort of brings a new lease of life to the game is. Uh, you can't, you know, you can't put a measure on how valuable that's been ever since Diaz has come in in January. I don't think. No, he has been extraordinary. And just a little fact I read the other day. I don't know whether this is post or pre uh, the Manchester United goal uh, from uh, from Sadio, but um, he's equaled Ryan Giggs's scoring record, hasn't he? But in three hundred and thirty-seven fewer games, <laughs> which is just—it's phenomenal. Uh-huh. And I, and I think certainly at the start of his Liverpool career, playing in a much more inferior team as well. Yeah, absolutely, mate. It, I mean, it, it is extraordinary. Just going back to Klopp's lineups, Dan. When you look at, um, I don't know whether we're raised eyebrows uh, before the semi-final when you saw the midfield of Liverpool. I saw that midfield of Liverpool with no disrespect to Jordan Henderson because I love him, but when I saw Cater, Thiago, and Fab in that centre. It was a bit of a mouthwatering prospect for me because they are players who essentially Klopp, that was his dream sort of, you know, trifecta, if you like, for the midfield, wasn't it? And ball winners, angry, aggressive players, but can, but can, but can show a lovely pass as well and uh, dropped Hendo to the bench. Do you think that was more out of design than anything else? Or do you think that was a real... Because that for me was seemed to be that fundamental feeling of why we 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 absolutely slaughtered the first 45 out of them mm. um, and now he has that lovely luxury of being able to because of course for united he brought hendo back cuz i think when he wants that captain like performance and someone to pull it all together uh, he'll do that but he has that nice little idea now doesn't he of of, of being able to interchange cater with 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 uh, with hendo into a really strong midfield yeah I, I think part of that maybe was kind of like learning the lessons and and doing the and really absorbing and, and, and working stuff out from the analysis that they inevitably will have done from the league game six days before at the Etihad, when Henderson did start. And, you know, it's not the first time. I, I think we've, we've talked about this before on, on podcasts where Jordan Henderson is a Liverpool legend and I still think he's got a huge part to play, not just this season, but potentially for a few years to come. I think one of the reasons that I, and I think a lot of people have got so much admiration for him is that he's got the strength of character to have accepted that sometimes, even as club captain and senior pro, he might have to sit on the bench. Klopp might actually, you know, he's big enough and bold enough to to accept when Klopp says to him, look, mate, I actually think for us to get the result we need or to go about this game the way we want to, I'm going to have you on the bench. I always used to say about Milner, he's a great first sub. And I think particularly in these kind of games, I think Henderson very much fits that bill as well. He's obviously been helped by the fact that I think, you know, maybe there have been times, maybe even earlier this season, when some of those other options in midfield, particularly the likes of Thiago and Keita, couldn't necessarily be relied on, whether to do with their form or their fitness, particularly because both of them, as we know, have had you know a series of niggling, annoying injuries that have made you wonder at times, are they ever going to be kind of show what we bought them for? I think both of them, though, Keita and Thiago, have kind of... I've almost kind of like changed perceptions of them. You know, certainly for, for me, when Keita came in, I kind of partly kind of on the back of all the YouTube videos we watched in the years waiting period we have after the deal was agreed. But well, he's a box-to-box midfielder, they're going to be smashing shots in off the underside of the bar. I think he has certain, he has shown as well his ability to create things in the final third. But there's a responsibility to his play now, 
where, you know, positionally, tactically, he, he seems to be doing a lot of the kind of dog's body, general factosome work that Ginny Wijnaldum used to do. <coughs> Thiago, Thiago, meanwhile, I think is just maybe the best passer I've seen in a red shirt since Alonso, you know, I'm going back to Mulby. Um, I've been wor- worried sometimes that kind of like, he's almost, always seems sometimes he's almost too worried about the aesthetic side of the game, making the body shape and the pass look perfect. But I think particularly as opposed to kind of what we saw last season, and I know last season was kind of like, you know, a car crash, a wreck in some ways for all those different reasons. But how many times, particularly in the spring when we were struggling, there were all kinds of memes going on about his inability, inability, you know, inability to tackle and, and picking up silly bookings and fouls here and there. You know, his reading of the game is such that a lot of the time his tackles aren't tackles, they're interceptions because he's read it so perfectly. And I think Wednesday night, you know, Wednesday night against United showed that to the nth degree as well. So it's this ultimately is, is it is what you want in terms of options. You know, being able to pick a certain team to win a game, but also as well, got the disposals that he needs at his fingertips if he needs to change things during a game. Because one thing I think we've seen that he's very good at over the course of his managership is when things aren't going right during a game, coming up with a, dif- a different tactical plan. And I think it's safe to say, no matter how this incredible roller coaster of a season ends up for us, there are going to be some more dodgy, sticky moments over the next 10, 11 games, whatever it is. And it will be a case of coming up with a plan on the hoof to remedy it. But I certainly feel very confident and optimistic with the players we've got at our disposal, the coaching staff, the knowledge, the nous, that we'll keep finding the answers to the questions that are posed to us. Yeah, absolutely. I love that analogy as well of of Thiago being worried about the aesthetics of passing the ball because he does sometimes. It's like when you see a chef playing mm. up and he's you know dribbling salt down his forearm and <laughs> yeah, and, and That's angle, exactly what I mean. You just want to go, just chuck it on, mate. I'm starving. I'll be in here twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah. Parsley over the back of your neck. Um, but he does have that wonderful thing. We'll talk about Thiago in a second as well. Another change as well, Edward. Uh, Eddie, sorry. Is it what's your preferred? Anything, mate. Ed, Eddie, whatever you want. Ed, Eddie. What a cartoon that was. Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Yes. Um, another change he made, a big change he made before the semi-final as well, was was um, switching um, Matip for Canate. And uh, and he showed himself to be a, a fantastic kind of um, a substitute for, for Matip, didn't he? Very, very powerful. Brilliant in the air. I don't know whether... I don't know whether uh, Klopp was just sick and tired of Matip redirecting Kevin De Bruyne's shots past Allison. Um, he's done it in the last two games, um, but he, he was another one, isn't he? Where, where it was a bold choice for a semi-final, wasn't it? Because obviously Matip is so much kind of the old slippers in that back too, isn't he? In the in the central defence there with with Van Dijk and uh, and Matip um, Matip Sean. In fact, if anything, if if I'm really splitting hairs, there were moments in that semi-final where Van Dijk, I thought, struggled. Um, uh, he, he kept Jesus on side for that for that brilliant Allison save, which is not like Van Dijk at all. A few times he was he, he sort of went the wrong way and was kind of beaten by passes and stuff. There's a few sort of um, squeaky bum moments with with Van Dijk and yet yeah, and yet Canate yeah, um, uh, seemed to be quite solid, but then he drops him again. Then doesn't he for the United game? So um, some tactical decisions coming in from from, from Klopp that all seem to be touch wood seem to be working out really well at the moment. Yeah, well, I, th- I think Canate can probably consider himself a little bit unlucky because any other centre-back coming into that team, you know, understudying for... You're not understudying for Van Dijk because he's going to play pretty much every game. Understudying for Matip, basically. He'd have thought he's going to play, you know, 
every other week in the end because the amount of it, ma- injuries Matic's been getting, but lo and behold, somehow this season, Touchwood, he's managed to keep it together and um, he's had a really strong run in the side, Matic. And Canate has sort of had to deal with just getting getting the odd game here or there. But, I mean, he's, he's done so well. He's making a real habit of... Uh, Scoring goals from corners, which is good because Van Dijk hasn't done that in a little while. And, uh, you know, we're sort of used to seeing him do that. So having Ibu come in and be able to, you know, is it three games in a row he scored from a corner? Uh, all looking pretty similar. He just, he's just such a presence. And you see you see him do sort of Van Dijk-esque things, but he's a, he's a bit more aggressive about it. A bit, he's a bit more of a bully, I think. You know, Van Dijk never looks like he gets out of second or third gear, really, even when he's at full sprint. Whereas Ibu's sort of charging around, you know, sort of putting people in their place. And like I say, from the corners, you, you wouldn't want to have to mark him, would you? You'd be looking at him and Van Dyke thinking some one of you is going to get on the end of this realistically. If it's a if it's a decent corner, which we do seem to have improved as well. We're not hitting the first man as much, which used to be my biggest pet peeve. But yeah, ever since uh I mean Kanate, you look at how Upper Meccano's been getting on at Bayern, it looks like we got the better of the two players, really. And uh yeah, he looks to have been a, a, a great signing and he's been a great understudy for Matip all season, yeah? Yeah, one of many great signings we've done lately. And just to finish on, the, on from the Manchester City semi-final, um, I think I tweeted, because I was quite angry at the time, they got what they deserved um, for being so disrespectful during that minute's silence. I, it was extraordinary to me, Dan. I watched the documentary on the Manchester bombing and um, the parallels from mm. that to, to, to Hillsborough, in, in a sense that the emergency services all tucked neatly down the road, not getting involved, which was very much like what was happening in the Hillsburg. And, 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 yeah. and I mean, ambulance service and police service and fire service then, all of them. Um, and then to see a, a high-ranking police officer sitting there squirming in a chair and lying um, uh, to get himself uh, out of trouble and then being retired. Um, huge parallels. So so I suppose it's no shock, is it, when you're dealing with football fans, let's be honest with you. Um, but uh, didn't observe the minute silence, sang sections of it obviously um sang all the way through it and kind of repeated again uh at the united game with the with the um with the ronaldo kind of tribute on seven minutes where um after Liverpool singing you'll never walk alone which remarkably was torn apart by evertonian saying you have to make it all about you don't you i mean the kind of logic that you just you just cannot you it's just remarkable isn't it um i think ronaldo's family really understood the tribute united fans sang about that that rag of a newspaper um, ridiculous, really, but suppose just you know goes to spare us on, doesn't it, mate? And, and um, they both got what they deserved after doing that. They did, although you know it is distressing that you know family members, survivors will have been in the ground on both occasions. They also will have been subject to hearing that on the TV and on social media. It is no surprise, as you say, because this is Brexit Britain that we're living in. You know the standards and decency, um, you know the the, the banter, the banterification of human sorrow and loss. Unfortunately, just, just, you know, people just don't seem to care anymore. But so what do we do? Do we just brush it off and say, oh, well, it, it's always it, it's always going to be this way? Or do we say, no, I don't want my kids. I don't want my family having to put up with this stuff. Uh, you know, Manchester City put out a statement, didn't they? I think even before half time on the match, uh, during the match on Saturday. Although, as a few people have pointed out, it never made it onto their websites or any of their social media channels. Manchester United apparently also released a statement yesterday. Um, but again, it was only kind of pretty much buried and didn't make it onto the usual channels, which the cynic in me, unfortunately, it's hard not to look at that as a cosmetic gesture. I do have to say, I do think Liverpool Football Club should be doing more 
on this issue. They were quite right on the first day of this season away to Norwich to castigate a small section of our supporters who sung uh, an, an off-colour song about a, Chelsea, a, lonely, a lonely Chelsea player who was, who was playing for Norwich at the time. Absolutely, these things should be challenged. And yet the, the silence over the abuse our people have to take week after week, season after season, year after year, is, is deafening. Now, you, know, you might never stop it entirely, but I do think there needs to be a concerted effort on all sides to just cut this out because it's, you know, it, it, this isn't what football should be. And it might be one of those battles that you can never kind of win entirely, but I do think it's one of those that we can't give up on. And I would like to see more organisations and individuals of um, influence getting involved in this and just telling people to pack it in. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, absolutely. And funny enough, I mean, at least the Man City semi-final disrespect was um, covered by the BBC. They Mm. mentioned it straight away, got onto it. Um, Man United's disrespect the other night doesn't get one second of a mention by Sky Television. Um, Not one of the commentators mentioned it. Of course, you've got You've got you've got you know Martin Tyler and, and and Gary Neville commentating primarily, so they're not going to. But you think the channel would stand up to it? But of course they didn't. Uh, you're quite right. Not more to say on what you just said than uh, disgraceful. You probably will never t- stamp it out, but may, there, there should be some sort of effort made to, uh, to to try and get rid of them from it. But then others will no doubt pick up the flag, won't they? Um, let's talk about the United game then, mate uh, Ed. Uh, you know, United have got their own troubles. Uh, long may they continue, quite frankly, but still got to go out on the pitch and beat them. And uh, they start with a, a a back five, and within five minutes, that that's undone um, by this rampant Liverpool side. I mean, it, it it was it was yet again just completely to the sword, wasn't it? Nine goals shipped in two games this season against them. Total disarray. And performances that, I mean, I think Thiago's performance, we'll touch on it with both of you, but Thiago's performance there will probably arguably go down as one of the best single solo performances uh, in a team match uh, that's ever been seen in Anfield. He was an absolute maestro, wasn't he? He was was pulling the strings all game, but they let him. I mean, they, they are so bad. I think everyone... You know, coming into coming into that game, I didn't want to allow myself to sort of think because you know, you, you, like I say, you've got Gary Neville on Sky Sports saying, "Oh, City have actually got the easier running." Because yeah, United and Everton historically are big games for Liverpool, but they're both awful. And you hear it, and you're like, "Yeah, he's right," but I don't want to get that in my head and just assume we're gonna, you know, beat them four nil. And then if they turn up and play like that, and it's like, "Oh yeah, fair enough." You can see why. Why United fans had no no sort of hope going into that game, you know they they just walked around the pitch and yeah, obviously Thiago was unbelievable. But when you've got that much time and space, he's always gonna he's always gonna look that good, you know. Like you say, he's so concerned with the aesthetics and they gave him all the time in the world to make every ball he played look as good as possible. They were they were just so just stood off everyone. But um, like you say, focusing on Liverpool, it was. It was as good a performance as they needed to put in, you know. It was you could walk away from it the same as Old Trafford, thinking that realistically that could have been ten, and there's not a thing they could have done about it if we'd wanted it to be. But you know, we sort of took our foot off the gas a bit. Sort of, I wouldn't say let them back in really for the sort of first twenty minutes of the second half, but we just we seemed like we were like say just knocking it around, like playing like a team that knew they'd already won the game, and then sort of 
got their arse in gear a bit in the half, halfway into the second half and then United barely touched the ball again. Like you say, Thiago just knocking it around, literally laughing at him. And uh, it took that Hannibal kid to come on and kick a few people for, you know, Gary Neville on commentary and, you know, United fans to actually have something to, to shout about. So it was, that is, I'm not sure you'll ever see uh, a performance like that uh, from a United team at Anfield again that bad you know I've 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 grown up on just getting mainly swept aside by United having you know the, that Premier League win a couple of years ago was the first thing I was the first one I've seen you know I've, I'm, I'm used to United being miles better than us and it's just bizarre it's almost you know I saw I saw a stat about them um, having like not won a Champions League knockout game or something or they've won one since Ferguson it's like if it wasn't so devastatingly funny it'd actually be sad but it is mainly hilarious so yeah it was it was funny and Thiago, Thiago you know you're right Ed I mean they did they didn't turn up did he so it was a lot easier but Thiago still he was still diving in with with tackles to intercept he still put the he put the graft in as well as the flare didn't he at one point I thought he was going to drop his ice cream but he never um, <laughs> he just took it in the cancer. But there's hard work behind that, Dan, as well, isn't it? There's the flair, there's the elegance, there's the, the pulling the strings, there's the puppeteer, but also there's the socks rolled down and getting stuck in, isn't it? He does that as well. Yeah, I think you know, it, they always used to say about some of the great players that they let the ball do the work. And I think there's there's, a, there's certainly an element of that to Thiago's game. But <clears throat> I think he's really kind of grown into his role within the team, within the Liverpool squad now. I mean, it can't have been an easy time to come into the club last last summer, last autumn, not just because of COVID and everything else, but because of this was a team that had basically climbed Everest. They'd won that league after 30 years that we were all desperate for. So where do you kind of go from that? And you know, and it was a, a wreckage last season. <clears throat> and <coughs> somehow, little by little, they got themselves, well, we ended up finishing third, didn't we? And, you know, and I just think psychologically, getting in that Champions League, salvaging something from that season, enabled us to really kind of hit the ground running this season. And I think, you know, Thiago's position within the squad and the team now, I think he, it just seems like he's on the same wavelength as a lot of his teammates. They they know what he expects from them. He know what he's going to be able to get from them, uh, vice versa. And he just looks to be, to provide the perfect blend in, in that midfield, whether, you know, whether he's alongside Fabinho or with Henderson or Cater there. We haven't really had a, a... Obviously, all of them can pick a pass from time to time. But I think one of the... Going back to the final in Kiev, as amazing as Liverpool done to, had done to get there that season, I think we all looked at the midfield and said, where's the creativity? Where's the, someone who's going to just... Pull a rabbit out of a hat and just create something in a tight game? And there's been a number of occasions now where you can almost literally hear the Anfield crowd purr in, in admiration when he... He's one of these passes when he's looking the other way that seems to bisect about seven players with the perfect weight, the perfect pace, right into somebody's stride. You know, I, I remember seeing, seeing someone say, you know, a couple of months ago, if we can keep him fit, and obviously that's been a major issue in the last couple of years, then we really could win the lot. And, you know, thankfully, touch wood over the last couple of months, we have kept him fit. I do think we are going to need to manage his minutes. I don't, I don't think it's the kind of thing we do in this podcast, but to be honest, I wouldn't start him against Everton on Sunday. Because, you know, obviously we've got the games coming thick and fast at the moment, but I do think obviously the position they're in, and they salvaged the point for themselves against Leicester last night, but they're still massively in trouble. Um, 
I, I, you know, I, I do think that there, there needs to be a case of horses for courses. But Klopp and his team and his analysts, they're so experienced and they've got so much know-how and knowledge and 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 wisdom in terms of picking the right games for the right players at the right times. And I've got full confidence that they'll do that. And you know, they've managed to get. You know, it's not just um, Tiago. Like the case of Fabinho, plenty of players from the squads have had niggly injuries. And with the intensity of the games and the regularity of them, so far, touch wood, without wanting to tempt fate, they've played a blinder so far. And if they can keep doing that for the next four to six weeks, we could be we could be into something really special. Yeah, I mean, Mo touched on it, didn't he, in the interview afterwards with Thiago on Sky when he turned around and he said, you haven't played in a derby yet at Anfield. Um, it is a bit of a worry, isn't it? Because, you know, some of those from across the park will... Um, We'll, we'll take it as a huge feather in the cap if they can take out a couple of our players for the end of the season. They'll be, you know, their crowds will be getting tattoos on their arms done of them if they uh, injured any of our players because it'll be the cup final, won't it? You've got to be very, very careful how you approach a game like that because as far as talent on the pitch is concerned, it's a no, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? There is one thing though, we do pair about Liverpool, and, and and I love love pairing about Liverpool, and it's fantastic to be to be doing podcast after podcast in this wonderful purple patch of form that we're in where we're just sort of you know extolling the virtues of how good we are I have to say there is one part of our game that is creeping in more and more that is so frustrating and so edgy a city and it's this back passing to the keeper that we seem to keep I mean it's like how long are we going to do that before before someone slides in Mane style and kicks, knocks it in the net because let's face it Allison is one of the best goalkeepers in the world. He is an incredible um, shot stopper. Um, when it comes to smashing the ball as he falls over at the edge of the box, it nearly always lands to the feet of one of our strikers. But when it comes to knocking a ball back to him from the from the from the defence with an on-rushing player, he ain't the best. He doesn't. If you notice, Allison never comes to the ball when the ball's getting passed to him. He waits for it to get to him, and you go and go get it. Uh, and then he'll sort of, you know, some of his passing is, it really is nail-biting stuff in it. And you wonder how long it's going to be before that trip. I know Klopp doesn't like it because when the camera cuts to him, he looks like he's about to give birth. So they've got to stamp that. I know it's part of the game, but they've either got to get better at it or just try and bypass that that area because, boy, it's the one time in the game, isn't it, where you're hedging your hands. It's, 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 it's very rarely the opposition that are putting us under pressure. It's ourselves, isn't it? Yeah, it's that and uh, the passing back to the keeper and the high line. It was, honestly, it's the heart rates of Liverpool fans ever since we sort of adopted that. It's ridiculous. But yeah, the uh, the passing back to keeper stuff, you know, it's, it's it's become more and more part of the game. And when I was a keeper, I hated it because <laughs> I, I didn't, want, didn't want the ball at my feet. But, you know, you look at Alisson and Edison and I mean... I think Alisson's, Alisson's definitely a better, the better shot stopper, probably the better all-round goalkeeper. But in terms of with the ball at their feet, I think Edison's probably got the edge over him there. But he's he's got that um, he's got that little streak in him. Like you saw, he, he nearly got nearly had the exact same thing happened with uh, Mane and Stefan. Had that happened to him with uh, Jota the week before. But I'm not quite sure Allison's got that in him. Whether he's going to let someone get that close to him before he belts it out, but he does let it get a little bit close sometimes. But you see, every keeper's doing it now. They're all. You know, you see Courtois pulling out the Cruyff turns in the Champions League and it's like, what are you doing? But for the most part, they seem to get away with it. It's all, it's all, it's one of those, it's all fine until it isn't. Like you say, if it's a, it's, it's a matter of time until he, he does eventually get caught. It's going to happen. 
and uh, you know you are you are just left wondering sometimes, especially when you're at the games. You know you can feel the whole crowd's like just belt it out, please for the love of God. But you know it's it's part of the game now. We just got to uh, got to got to get used to it. I think the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, he's already been caught out against Leicester a couple of seasons ago when they did just that. And, and it, it, I mean, you know, the Benfica match uh, and also the, the little 10, 15-minute period that United had, it's all self-inflicted, Dan, isn't it? They sort of, sometimes Liverpool, if they have, if they have a chink in the arm, it's that they, they, they'll go ahead and find the game so kind of, they get so kind of complacent with their performance and stuff that they suddenly just start piling pressure and allowing teams to build up a fluidity. And if you can keep a team off the board, you keep them out of stride. But if you if you then go to them, go on, then we'll just turn this over really needlessly and uh, let you have a ten minute spell against us. It can be annoying, but uh, definitely the back passing, mate. They've got to try and cut that out, haven't they? Surely. I mean, the thing is, you and me, Fitzy, were brought up on football before nineteen ninety two when the goalkeepers could pick the ball up. And there was no back pass rule. And there's a school of thought, and a lot of bitter Evertonians and Man United fans say, well, that's how you won all those European Cups, just passing back to the goalkeeper for 75 minutes. <clears throat> Obviously, we know that's a load of nonsense. But, I mean, listen, what's what, it'd be 30 years this year when the back pass law came in. So, let's be, you know, a full generation of players and spectators are about to get used to it now. I think part of it is, um, in the modern era, it's about beating the press, isn't it? And I think that's why a lot of teams want to do it. They, particularly the likes of Liverpool, that you know, we know they want to draw teams on. And if you beat the press, you can get the people in behind them. You can spring them on the break. I think I'm, I think I'm maybe slightly more relaxed about it than than, than you two. The the one issue I would have, and, and this felt particularly relevant during the first half of the league game against City. I think there's there's it's all very well having an approach and a method and sticking to it and believing in it and. Even when things are going a bit ropey, this is how we play, and you, you, you hang your hat on that, and you know you live or die by what happens to it. I do think you've got to be adaptable within a game. And the one thing that frustrated me during that <clears throat> that first half of the Etihad was when we kept trying to. Do, there's times when I just think, just get up the pitch, just get tw- for 10, 15 minutes, just get 20 yards up the pitch and stop. Give you particularly when you're away from home, and particularly obviously the last few times we've gone to the Etihad, it's an absolute bear pit because we are their cup final of cup finals. There's no getting away from that. And they are desperate to beat us, not just to beat us, but to kind of like psychologically get one over on us. So I, I think certainly in that first half, we could have done with a bit slightly better in-game management. You know, absolutely, this is how we play. But for, t- for 5, 10, 15 minutes, whatever it is, just play 20 yards further up. Stop playing ourselves into trouble. That little bit, you know, that little bit nearer to the pitch. Uh, sorry, that little bit nearer to our own goal. But, you know, the reality is, has developed the greatest Liverpool team I've ever seen and plenty older, wiser sages than me. So I think we just have to... It's like the old debate as well about, oh, Trent and Robbo, are they good enough defensively? Well, you know, we've committed to playing with these attacking fullbacks. So occasionally, yeah, they are going to get in behind us. They are going to create chances. But we're going to win a lot, not just more than we lose, a hell of a lot more than we lose, but also as well, this is football how it should be played. Not just for what what we've been brought up as Liverpool, as, as Liverpool supporters, but just I think as football supporters in general, you want to see attacking football. So if occasionally if things go if things go pear shaped, I can live with that because I just think ultimately 
football, you know, this football is about enjoyment and they're giving us the time of our lives. Well, at the same time, I think a lot of neutrals are just thinking the old era of negative managers like Benitez and Mourinho and, and you know, parking the bus, that's over. It is about attacking football. So I just kind of think it's a little bit of collateral damage that it might occasionally have us kind of peeping through our fingernails, but ultimately it's going to have us doing gymnastics in the stadium more often than not. <laughs> Fair enough. And the high line, I know what you say with the high line, but for me, I find the high line is, you hear these commentators saying Liverpool are going to get caught out by the high line and get oh it's offside. Well, that's because we really know how to play a high line. <laughs> it's, yeah. if we were if we were if we were losing four goals a week because we couldn't do a high line, then then I wouldn't be complain. I'd be complaining about it. But we're actually very very good at it. And as Dan just said, you will get caught out occasionally. But but they are they are maestros, aren't they? Are they? Well, look, we've got the uh, the derby to come on Sunday. Uh, it's a half four kickoff. Uh, Liverpool, and then we've got Villarreal, and then, of course, we've got the 12-30 Newcastle game. Liverpool tried to get that game pushed further back, and we're point-blank refused. Thanks for that. Um, but uh, Everton uh, uh, brings its own uh, worries, as I said before, uh, Ed. Not only the fact that they are, uh, they're they sort of like a bit of a wounded animal at the moment, aren't they? Liverpool got to be careful with this one. Uh, got to tread lightly. Got to do what they do best, but also got to be aware, as Dan said, maybe, maybe looking at resting uh, Thiago, certainly benching him. Uh, and, uh, and and maybe putting Cater on instead and just going for that, uh, just making sure that they don't try and kick lumps out of us. Yeah, I can definitely see the argument for uh, not starting Thiago after Richarlison nearly broke his leg at uh, Goodison. But um, yeah, I think Everton, I think Everton are definitely worrying me more than, like like I said, you know, I wasn't not worried about United, but I think Everton are definitely, you know, with the position they're in, I mean, I know United are in a top four fight, but they don't just don't look like they've got any fighting and full stop. Whereas Everton, you know, it's a relegation battle. You know, any, anything can happen, and they they are going to be coming out for blood because you know they don't want to go down, and they definitely don't want us winning the league. So uh, it's definitely going to be one layer, as you say. We're going to have to tr- tread carefully. You know, hopefully get two nice early goals, and then. Uh, a third maybe before half time and start bringing people off, but it's it's never going to be that easy, is it? With Everton, you know, they they are going to put up a fight. I'm sure Lampard will have them uh, have them raring to go in the changing room. But I th- they have they've been poor. They've been so bad this year. And as much as you know, it is Everton and it is a derby. You've got to think we've we've got what it takes to sweep them aside. We, in, especially with that front line, like you say, we've got. We've got the depth required. If if we've not got the goals, and after an hour, you know, we can bring. It depends on who starts. You can bring whoever off on off the bench. It's just, it's just another one we've got to get through. You know, every game is a big game now, but this is one of the bigger ones left this season, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I'm the same, Dan. Really, I, I, you know, Liverpool are playing at such levels at the moment. They're so so far ahead of anything else uh, underneath us. I think uh, there's only Liverpool and City have. I've just streaked away, haven't you? That you can't see anything other than a, a Liverpool victory, but it's just keeping the casualties down, mate, isn't it? And it's there are six games to go now as we stand, uh, and I think it's going to be a case of uh, leapfrogging each other all the way. I think, isn't it? And and just hoping that I mean, we've got <clears throat> we've got uh, Tottenham as well, you know, uh, which is I think I think out of the pick of all the games is probably the one that's there that could be a potential kind of uh, banana skin there. Um, but uh, but the Everton game is the first one, mate, and we just need to tread lightly there and, and, and then put them to the sword, don't we? Absolutely. I think we need to remember that the last time they came to Anfield, last February, they won for the first time in about 250 years. So 
people need to remember that and and you know set set that straight. Um, I I do think it's a more dangerous than United because they have something to play for. I know United did, but you know, in, in terms of a, a top four, but but Everton are Everton are absolutely fighting for their lives. But um, I just think it's okay. I, I always remember the um, during the during the treble year and Liverpool had a, a tricky looking quarter final FA Cup tie at Tranmere Rovers, who'd already knocked Everton and Southampton out that year, and who lay very very deliberately and very specifically picking a lot of a lot of his British based players, knowing that it's going to be a scrap, a battle. And that's why I say I was wrapped Thiago and maybe one or two others up in cotton wool. I don't think, I mean, the last, certainly when Everton came to Anfield during the, the championship year, 1920, he basically put out virtually a reserve team, didn't he, Klopp? And we still battered them 5-2. And I think Marco Silva got sacked the next day. Now, I, I can't see him, I don't, I don't see him taking quite as much risk as that. But obviously, four days later, we've got a European Cup semi-final first leg against Villarreal to come. So, however, Klopp is always the first to say the most important game is the next one. We don't look any further than that. So, I just think it'll be a case of horses for courses. Thankfully, Klopp and, you know, the majority of this squad now are pretty well-versed in what a Merseyside derby entails, what it requires, what it, what will be necessary to get the result. And you just pitch to pick up on something you mentioned in the, in the last game about, you know, managing games and how sometimes we are giving teams just little windows of opportunity in games that we shouldn't do. I mean, I'd, in a perfect world, we would play total controlling football for 90 minutes. But I think the first couple of years of the Klopp era, when obviously it was all heavy metal football and giving it going full throttle, but then the legs falling off them in January, February. I just think this is part of the nature of how it has to be to compete on all these fronts with the squads that we've got. You've got to be able to kind of, in some ways, play a passage of the game without really playing and keeping the ball. As well, as well you can. So, obviously, particularly when you're facing your greatest rivals, that can kind of have you chewing your fingernails a bit and a little bit nervous. But I just think we just need to trust these boys. There's, you know, there's going to be a few hair-raising moments on Sunday, I've no doubt, and probably in every game till the end of the season. But look where they've taken us over the last nine months, over the last six years. And I just kind of think we've just all... Everyone's got to be all in for this now. Come hell or high water, no matter what way it goes, what we're doing this is the way we're doing it and so long as we stick to our principles and keep giving it absolutely everything I'm 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 pretty relaxed in terms of what will follow whether I'm whether I'm like that at 25 to 5 on Saturday afternoon Sunday afternoon however that might be a different story but for now I'm quite chill <laughs> you'll be sucking the lungs out of your vape I know you will mm. um, just a quick uh, score prediction then Kate for Sunday Dan first um, 3-0 Liverpool oh lovely Ed I'm going to stick with the same score differential, but I'm going to go 4 1. 4 1 Liverpool. You're giving him a goal. Okay, fair enough. Well, listen, lads, thanks very much. A great debut, Ed. Well done, mate. You'll be back on, no doubt. And uh, Dan, as always, thanks very much, mate, for your expert view on the Reds as well. Much appreciated. Have a good week, guys. Enjoy the sunshine. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.